Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Coming up on this week's podcast, we'll be joined by the number two overall pick in the draft, the man that had his NFL debut last weekend and had a sack and a half against the Philadelphia Eagles, the Washington football team defensive end, Chase Young. And then we'll be joined by the ESPN reporter, Ed Werder, who ventured out to Los Angeles last weekend to talk about what it's like to cover an NFL game on the road. And as he gets ready to prepare for his game this weekend in Jerry's world, Cowboys, Falcons, Ed Werger, co-host of the Doomsday Podcast, joins us as well. And finally, we'll preview some of the marquee matchups of week three with the ESPN analytics guru, Evan Kaplan, as he looks ahead to week two. But before we get to week two, first I want to look back to week one and some of the events and circumstances surrounding what has been strange and surreal for everybody involved in it, watching it, and who's a part of it, the sport of football. And this was the first year in my 30 years covering the NFL that I spent the Sunday at home, wrapping up the ESPN Sunday NFL countdown pregame show in my home office, venturing into my den to put on the Sunday ticket and to try to watch some of the NFL games. And I don't remember what it's like to have some of your domestic responsibilities, shall we say, at the same time as you're trying to watch football, but this is the world that we're used to. And then on Monday, I left my house for work for the very first time since the first week in March. Now, I am very fortunate, I understand that, that I get to do my job at home and I don't have to go into an office or a store or a hospital the way that so many people who have risked their lives and stood on the front lines during this pandemic have done. I'm incredibly blessed and fortunate. But saying that, it still was my first day out in work and it was odd. I went to ESPN Studios in the South Street Seaport to broadcast Monday Night Countdown. Walking in, saw Mike Greenberg, first person I see on the way in. Had not seen Greeny, I don't think, since the Super Bowl. Talked to him for a little bit. Went inside to what is normally a robust, filled with activity studio. And it was basically empty. Some behind-the-scenes people. Everyone masked up. Not many people around. It was like being a part of a science experiment in a ghost town. It was very weird to be there. And then to be there... You have to pass a test, a COVID test each week. ESPN makes its employees take a COVID test before they can go into work. So before I went into Monday Night Countdown, I arranged to take a COVID test last week. And then another one this week, right before we taped this podcast. And it's pretty involved and hadn't had this happen before. And this is a complication of 2020. I'm literally halfway through my COVID test this week, swab up my nostrils, swinging it around. And the phone rings and it's a, hey, coach, wanting to talk about a particular issue. And literally could not pick up because I had to swab up my nose. I'm talking to the nurse practitioner on the FaceTime call. And I can't pick up to talk to a head coach I'd like to talk to because I've got to swab up my nose being tested for COVID to get myself cleared from Monday Night Countdown. That, in a snapshot, is 2020. That is the world we're living in. Every one of us has our own issues, challenges, working from home, juggling life, 
dealing with kids, going to school at home, like my daughter is currently doing, but it is so different than what we are used to. And we are seeing it in the NFL, in the way business is conducted, in stadiums where there are no fans, where there's no energy, where players now have to find it upon themselves to fire themselves up rather than running out of that tunnel, as we talked about what happened, to have the fans boost them up. And I think it points out again how important fans are to this game. They make it. They bring the energy. They change the experience of it on Sundays. And everybody right now is experiencing a different way of life in the way they go about their business and consume this sport in the year 2020. But before we get into today's episode, I want to tell everyone about another ESPN podcast that will help you with your fantasy football teams. Make sure you're listening to Fantasy Focus Football with ESPN fantasy experts, Matthew Berry, Field Yates, Stefania Bell, Mike Clay, Daniel Dopp. You'll get daily strategy, previews, and injury reports to ensure you have all the information you'll need for your fantasy football team. Download and subscribe to Fantasy Focus Football, as well as the Adam Schefter Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, our first guest. Oh, is this the Predator? <laughs> nah, nah, what's up, what's up? <laughs> well, Chase Young, appreciate you joining us, former second overall draft pick. Let me ask you this question, Chase. You come in, and on Sunday, in your very first game, your NFL debut, one and a half sacks, four tackles, a forced fumble, 27 unanswered points after falling behind Philadelphia, 17-0. How did playing and winning your first NFL game compare to what you would have imagined it would have been like? It's a, I feel like it, it's the same, man. It's a, I, feel, I feel good. I feel blessed and glad that we could get the first win. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, it's the first one's good, but you know, now we just got to prepare for, for Arizona. So, you know, that, that, that's, that's, that's what we're doing right now. But, um, I, I definitely know if we had fans in there, um, the, the win would have been even more, even crazy, uh, you know, just, just with us and, and, and all our fans, uh, you know, joining together. Chase, what will you always remember about your first NFL game? Probably playing with no fans. I can <laughs> say my first NFL game was playing with no fans. What was that like? Uh, I mean, it was cool. I mean, after a while, you just you start to forget that, you know, fans are supposed to be in there and you're just playing ball at the end of the day. But you have to get yourself fired up, right? I mean, usually fans give you a little bit of energy and adrenaline, and that's not the case yeah. anymore, right? Yeah, yeah. So how do you do that? Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's, it's, it's really, you know, some, some, some people have it, some people don't. It's, it's more like, you know, just, you know, the heart, do you, do you really love the game? And I feel like it's just a test to see, you know, who really loves the game. Um, and just, you know, it's there and it just comes to work. And you love the game, I take it. I do. Chase, how would you describe what your rookie year has been like? Because there has been no team in football that has been through more issues, situations, controversy than Washington. I mean, it's been crazy. They dropped their name. There's a Washington Post story on the culture that existed there. Your head coach tells the team that he's got cancer before the season begins. Could you ever imagine that you would be through some of the situations you have this early in your NFL career? Oh, no, nah, definitely not. Uh, but, you know, um, that's, that's kind of being a dude. You just got to roll with the punches. And that's all about how you respond to it. 
Um, and I feel like just your response is going to determine your outcome. What was it like when Ron Rivera, your head coach, informed your team of the health issues that he was battling? What do you remember about that? Yeah, it, it was definitely a shock. But, um, but you know, um, I mean, only thing I could do, only thing we could do is just, you know, um, put Coach Rivera for prayer. And uh, I know that's what I've been doing. Um, and I know everybody else in the team has been doing it as well. Did you have any idea on Sunday that at halftime, while you all are getting ready to play the second half, that he's getting an IV? I didn't know that. No, nope, I didn't know that. And what was your reaction when you found out that he was doing that? I mean, it's not, it's not really a reaction. It's just uh, it is what it is. So he had to do what he had to do um, just, just, just to, to keep going. Um, so, you know, the only thing I can say about Coach Rivera is that he's in my prayers. And, uh, you know, I love playing for that guy. How come? Man, he just, uh, he's just a – He's a, he's a real dude, man. He, he, he's a real coach. Um, I'm like, you can go into his office and talk to him uh, about about anything for real. Um, uh, he's just a genuine dude. So, so that's, that's why I like playing for him. You mentioned preparing for Arizona. Anything already yeah. stand out about this team and this challenge that awaits your team on Sunday in a game that I think now is rather anticipated? The Washington football team and Arizona Cardinals, not many people would have thought it's a big game in week two, but it is a big game, two unbeaten teams. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, man, I mean, right now, um, you know, obviously the Arizona Cardinals, you see in week one, they have an explosive offense. That's the first thing I've seen, uh, Tyler Murray. Um, you know, he, he's real he's real good back there. Uh, he's fast, he likes to scramble. So, uh, I mean, if you look at it from a general standpoint, you know uh, the type of team that they, they have. Chase ever gone against a quarterback like Kyler Murray before? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think I have. Yeah. When you go against somebody like that, what's it like for you in, in your position? Uh, it's definitely more of a challenge. Uh, you know, you're not going on to a guy who just, you know, sits in the pocket. You know, you're going on a guy who, who, um, you know, is, is a fast and elusive guy. Um, so you know, it's it's, it's definitely going to be a challenge. But you know, those are challenges that. Um, I feel like Ben's love to, uh, just, to, just, just to take on. Now, Chase, here's the million-dollar question. I went to Michigan. You went to Ohio State, okay? Are we going to yep. get football in the Big Ten this year or what? I hope so, man. I, I definitely hope so. I got, I got some people down there um, that, you know, some of them just said last year, and it's, it's, it's an important year, um, you know, that, that, that can help them um, get to the next level. So, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely hoping that they play. Um, I, I just hope the Big Ten figures everything out so they get the guys on the field. Hey, Chase, appreciate you taking some time today. Lots of luck on Sunday in Arizona. Good luck. Continue the great start. And thank you for the time today. Thank you. Thank you. There's the outstanding young Washington football team defensive end, Chase Young. Before we get to Ed Werder and his words about covering the Cowboys-Rams game in L.A. last week and the Cowboys-Falcons game this week. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, 
designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. And now our next guest. Joining us now, the outstanding longtime ESPN reporter, the co-host, along with Matt Mosley of the Doomsday Podcast, which is Cowboys and Breaking News centric. After each Cowboys game, if you're a Cowboys fan, you'll want to listen to the Doomsday Podcast. My friend, my colleague, Ed Werner. Ed, thank you very much for the time today. Hey, Adam, I enjoy uh, talking football with you guys anytime. So uh, anytime I get this invitation, I'm glad to... uh, to take advantage. Well, I reached out because this is such a strange time for all of us. Yeah. It's so unusual. And it was incredibly unusual for me going through week one for a variety of reasons that I outlined in the beginning of this podcast. But I wanted to know what it was like for you in week one, traveling to SoFi Stadium, the new stadium in Los Angeles, which we'll get into, but just the idea of being in that stadium at that time and how that would compare to your normal work in other years. Sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's a unique experience for, I think, everybody involved. And I don't want to sound in any way, as we have this conversation, like I'm complaining um, because things are more challenging and, and access is very limited and so forth. But, uh, and I think we should stay from the start that, I think we all have gratitude that the NFL uh, has had, you know, such compliance and discipline and a commitment to getting the games played safely in week one. And we certainly hope uh, as we cover it, that they can achieve their goal of playing an uninterrupted season. Um, But yeah, this was a very uh, unusual week uh, going out to SoFi stadium. I mean, I think the reality that the Rams experienced probably could not have been further from what they must have imagined uh, as they thought about opening this new stadium, which I call $5 billion worth of architectural eye candy uh, in the entertainment capital of the world Um, to, you know, do that uh, over budget, you know, construction delays, and then, Week one, the start of the 2020 NFL season, you're scheduled to play, you know, a primetime game uh, against the, the most visible team in the entire NFL, the Dallas Cowboys. And to do all of that and not have any fans in the stands, I think, had to be a terrible disappointment for uh, the Rams ownership, uh, Stan Kroenke. What was it like for you to be there? What's it like to be at a game during the pandemic and nobody else is there? Yeah, you know, um, there, there's a lot of things that are, are different about it. Um, you know, I would, I would typically be, a, you know, assigned coverage of, of a team during the week, in this case the Cowboys, so I live nearby. I'd probably go out, you know, uh, one day and cover the team, have 45 minutes of, acker, of locker room access to the players, and then I'd go back out on Friday for the open locker room maybe speak to someone not available earlier or to ask a specific question for my Sunday report to try to get some information that would distinguish what I have to offer for our shows and viewers. And, and that just doesn't exist. You know, everything during the week now is done on a zoom call. In fact, 
one day last week, my wife walked in the door and I was laying on the couch, you know, on the, on the speaker phone. And my wife said, what mouth to me, what are you doing? And I said, I'm covering the Cowboys. I mean, I'm, I was, I was involved in a conference call with Dak Prescott, you know? Um, and, and then on the day of the game, normally we'd be reporting from the field. And so you'd be down there with an opportunity to watch players prepare, maybe update an injury, acquire an interesting piece of information for a fresh quote on game day, you know, visit with team and league personnel you don't haven't seen for a while to, to get some valuable FaceTime, acquire a phone number to add to your contact list. Just none of that's possible. You know, you're, you're in the press box and, you know, the Rams had a very limited number of people in the press box. Every seat had a plexiglass divider on each side. And then there were two empty seats to your left and to your right. And so as you watch the game, you know, there's no interactions with your colleagues. Uh, there's enclo- you're enclosed in glass, so you can't even hear the crowd noise that the NFL has curated for each game. And so you're hearing nothing at all. It's like being in an echo chamber, and you're wondering, well, are the players hearing something different than what I'm hearing? Um, and I assume they are. Now, now, I think the TV product has been outstanding. Uh, I don't think you have a sense there's nobody in the stands, but you certainly have that sense when you're at the stadium. What was the strangest part of being there, Ed, to you? Well, the strangest part was just, you know, looking around and, and the entire time and being aware that there's virtually nobody here. And millions of people are watching this game, but nobody's doing it that you can see. And um, then obviously after the game, we'd normally, well, first of all, the most disappointed man in all of America had to be Jerry Jones, because, you know, typically after a Cowboys game, Jerry sets himself up for what appears to be an impromptu press conference with several hundred people right outside the Cowboys locker room. And so media people are deciding, well, should I, should I take part in this Jerry interview? Should I go down the hall and listen to Mike McCarthy's first post game press conference happening at the same time? Should I go in the locker room and start, you know, doing interviews in there? Well, none of that existed after the game. And so uh, after the game, my producer, Charlie Moynihan and I basically sat in the press box and we monitored and participated in the two conference calls that the Cowboys had going simultaneously. One was a number you called and and you were uh, given access to Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott and another number you called. And that was Zeke Elliott and, you know, other players. And so it's just a completely different situation. And I think it, it really impedes the way we report on games. And I, I just hope, I mean, you're sitting, normally you'd go in a locker room and you could talk to almost anybody you want to. And if you wait long enough and you have a relationship with a guy, you know, you can look him in the eye and ask a question. Uh, there's just no direct communication. The team controls everything uh, to an uncomfortable level. I mean, what's going to happen when there's a major controversy and the team doesn't make the player involved available because they don't deem it to be in their best interests. Um, so, so I think that's what we're looking at going forward. And I just hope that, when things do return to normal and this pandemic is over or under more control than it is now, that the NFL doesn't keep the systems currently that they're using in place. And we get back to what we were doing before uh, where there's more personal interaction between members of the media covering teams and the players and coaches and owners. But this year, to be very clear, reporters do not have any personal interaction with any players in an individual one-on-one setting other than, a group Zoom call. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess there have been a couple of situations where, you know, a reporter can do a one-on-one, but it's still a Zoom call, um, almost without exception. So, yeah, there's 
there is no opportunity to take advantage of um, your relationship with somebody, uh, their trust in you, uh, their willingness to talk, you know, to you in a one-on-one -on -one situation for you to develop a line of questioning. I mean, it's, you're basically trying to sh shout over other people, nobody knowing when, what's going to be asked or when, the, who's going to ask the next question. And it's, it's just very challenging. And like I said, I, I don't want to seem like I'm complaining. I'm not. Uh, but you asked me a question about yeah. what it's like, and this is the experience that I've had. What about just being on the road, Ed? How did you find that experience? I know, again, as I've said, different people view this pandemic in different ways. And some people go on and live their lives, and they think it's a hoax, and they don't believe it, and that's fine. And other people are very cautious. I have not spent a single night away from my house since the first week in March. But what was it like for you to have to travel from your home in Texas to Los Angeles, to be in a hotel, to fly, to do all those things that you ordinarily would do without any second thought. Right. I'm not a political person, um, but I did travel from a red state uh, to a blue state in this particular case, going from Dallas to Los Angeles. Um, and, and in Texas, things have been pretty open, you know, for quite a period of time. Uh, restaurants are operating at somewhere between 50 and 75 percent capacity. That's not the case in Southern California, and I assume not in California at all. New, New, um, New York, Gavidusa. New York, yep. Yeah, yeah, so, so I stayed at a hotel near the airport and basically was a prisoner of my room. Uh, the restaurants weren't open, so you had to order through room service and then go downstairs and pick your meal up and take it to your room, and so you're eating in your room out of a cardboard box with plastic utensils. Um, that was the reality of this particular road trip. I, I have traveled a few different times on planes. I, I travel almost exclusively on American Airlines because it's a hub in Dallas. Um, and almost every flight out of Dallas, and, and they've condensed the schedules, but every flight out of Dallas is, is virtually full, operating at full capacity. Um, and so you're wearing a mask the entire time. Uh, that becomes uncomfortable at, at different points in time, but I think it's a worthwhile thing uh, for everybody to engage in. It's responsible behavior. Um, I didn't rent a car, um, so I just relied on my, my producer, Charlie Moynihan, who you know, uh, lives in, in Phoenix, and he drove five and a half hours uh, to LA rather than travel on an airplane like he normally would have done. And then he was, then he was driving to Las Vegas for his next assignment. So it has certainly changed the way we travel. It's changed the way we cover games. It's just changed the entire um, experience of being an NFL reporter or producer for, for ESPN. And, and we're the lucky ones. Um, and I, I, I got to make sure I make this point, Adam. We're the lucky ones because, you know, our company is still sending us to games, even though the access isn't as beneficial as it normally would be. Um, they think it's important for us to go to these games and, and provide whatever unique elements we can uh, for our viewers. There are a lot of publications and a lot of broadcast entities that either are not sending anyone at all or are sending skeleton crews of people to go cover these games. And so a lot of people are just watching games on TV and then, you know, connecting through the Zoom, the Zoom access the team creates. And these are very prominent writers in our business who are doing this from home watching television. And I just hope it, that doesn't become the norm. Uh, I hope we never accept that. And can you get unique elements when you're on the road? You've had one road trip, but can you do that? 
And I don't, I don't mean to question your reporting abilities. You are an outstanding reporter and have been an outstanding reporter for a long time. But in a time of a pandemic, can you, from one week, find unique elements? Well, I think there's still value in, and this is a point to, uh, that I've made to, you know, even our, our show groups and our executives, that even when the access is all the same, um, well, first of all, I think I have, you know, enough numbers uh, of value in my contact list that on occasion I can reach out to somebody and try and get some, you know, if I'm trying to clarify something or I want something specific and it's important enough to bother somebody in that regard, you know, I'll do it. And that's one method of getting some, a piece of exclusive information. Um, and I don't want to downplay the importance of that. But beyond that, I still think there's value to having experienced reporters covering these teams and being pre as present as possible um, just from the standpoint of, hey, I, know, I think I know what questions to ask, you know, and I think I know how to do it in a way that's going to get um, uh, a, good, a good response, an informative response, uh, engage the player. And I also think there's value in being able to develop a storyline. I think there's value in an experienced reporter, even from afar, knowing what's important and knowing what's not important, knowing what's already been reported that week and what's new information. Um, for instance, I think that one of the things that struck me after the game the other night was Mike McCarthy's controversial decision um, on fourth down when he could have kicked the tying field goal to instead go for it on fourth and three, and they failed. Um, and it was interesting to me because Mike McCarthy's a 56-year-old coach from Green Bay, spent 13 years there. Uh, he's not the kind of guy you would normally think ascribes to analytics, but I know that he is and that he's made that a big part of his presentation uh, to owners he met with after that year off. Um, and, and Jerry's never been a big believer in analytics, but Mike believes in it. And he mentioned after the game when I asked him the question about that, which – Quite honestly, I don't know if that comes up among if any if I'm not there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it did come up, and he did mention that he knew the analytics suggested in that situation that you go for it. Yeah. Uh, and so I thought it was interesting that Mike McCarthy, in 13 years in Green Bay, nine straight playoff appearances, Super Bowl winning coach, never went for it in 13 years in Green Bay in that situation. Wow! Not wow. only that. But nor did any other coach in the entire NFL in, that, in a similar situation last year uh, go for it. And Jason Garrett, in an entire decade as a Cowboys coach, much maligned, by the way, never went for it in that situation. And so, so I think that's the value, you know, that a reporter who's around a team, um, who really knows what the issues are and can, be, and can think in a creative way and ask the right question can still be valuable even in this circumstance. Now. You will be at the Cowboys-Falcons game on Sunday. Cowboys that is correct. have their opening home game. You go from SoFi Stadium to Jerry's World. Will we see Jerry set a pandemic attendance record? What will it be like there on Sunday in Texas, Ed? I think Jerry Jones, first of all, he's being very secretive about what he expects the attendance to be. So that, that can't be good for anybody. Um, and Jerry has emphasized, you know, the safety, but he has certainly also made the point that his stadium, because of its size, 3 million square feet, um, open air flow, that, that they can accommodate safely more people than anybody else in football. And we all know how Jerry feels about set, setting attendance records. 
he he did it and and got sued for the methods he used to try to break the Super Bowl attendance record uh, when the Packers and Mike McCarthy's Packers beat the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers at the Super Bowl uh, in North Texas at Jerry World several years ago. He had, I think, over 103,000 people in a stadium that normally seats 90,000 people. The Cowboys are the number one team in the NFL in home attendance. They average over 90,000 people per game under ordinary circumstances. This is last year. That's 12,000 more than anybody else. The Jets are the next closest team. So it will be interesting to see how many people are attending this game. And I do think it will set, if not a pandemic record, uh, Adam, an early season pandemic record for NFL uh, in-game attendance, assuming there are no outbreaks. What are we setting the the over-under at, Ed, for attendance in your mind? Well, what did we see? Uh, Kansas City, I think, announced 13,000 for Arrowhead, their opener. I'm going to say I'm going to say the over-under is 30,000. 30,000. That'd be – I mean, just to see 30,000 fans in one spot would be something, huh? Yeah, it's, it's, still, it's still so odd. You know, I mean, I, I used to cover the USFL way back when, and you talk about covering football games in Los Angeles where, where it seems like or there is nobody in the stands. Um, and I covered a USFL game with the LA Express against the Denver Gold. Steve Young was a quarterback for the LA Express. They were playing in the 100,000-seat Coliseum, and it looked like it was attended by a family picnic, you know? Uh, uh, and so a lot, those memories kind of come back when you're sitting at the stadium the other night uh, looking out, and there is virtually nobody uh, in your view. I think Jerry will go for the pan- early season pandemic record. Um, on Sunday against the Falcons. An unusual noon kick. The Cowboys don't get uh, many games that start at noon. Uh, not since the, the Dave Campbell era when they went 5-11 and 11, three years in a row. They get a lot of early early game kicks. They're usually in that late TV window or prime time. Uh, but this is an early early uh, window kick for the Cowboys. I think he's going to set the record, Ed. <laughs> What's your I, over-under? I'm, well, I, I can't give you a number, but I'm going the over on 30. <laughs> I'm going the over, over on 30. Well, so – so the, the state regulations at the moment, uh, according to Governor Greg Abbott, are uh, half capacity. So theoretically, Jerry could have 45,000 fans at the game in a 90,000-seat stadium. Um, but so far, we've not seen anybody approach whatever the state maximum is. But Jerry, Jerry might be that guy. <laughs> it's going to be saying you'll be there to bring all the insight and observations to Sunday Countdown, Monday Countdown, whatever it may be, Sports Center. Uh, Ed, I appreciate taking the time today. Thank you very much. Be well, stay safe, and thanks for the time. You too, and thanks for being such a great teammate. And likewise. There's the great ESPN reporter, Ed Werger, the co-host of the Doomsday Podcast for Cowboys fans and all NFL fans. Before we get to Evan Kaplan previewing week three. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. And now, our last guest of this podcast. Joining us now, the ESPN analytics guru, 
the master statistician, the man who is behind the scenes for Sunday NFL Countdown, Monday night NFL Countdown, my friend, my colleague, Evan Kaplan. Evan, thank you for taking the time today. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for having me. Uh, looking forward to digging into some topics for week two. We've got some really intriguing week two matchups, especially in the prime time windows. Sunday night is New England at Seattle. Monday night is New Orleans at Las Vegas in the first game in Las Vegas. Like, who would have thought the NFL would ever be in Vegas? That's incredible to me. And then, really and then even Thursday night, we have the Battle of Ohio, which might not be very sexy on the surface, but I think has got a lot of implications and a lot of significance. But, Evan, we'll start off on Sunday night in a Super Bowl rematch with the Cam Newton-led Patriots traveling to Seattle to play the Russell Wilson-led Seahawks. And I'm curious what stands out about this matchup to you. A lot of layers to this one, Adam. And let's start with that Super Bowl rematch, and then we can move on to talking about the current Patriots with Cam Newton. So you look back at that Super Bowl 49, they have played one since then in 2016 in Foxborough. But if we go back to that Super Bowl, and I dug up the players still on the respective team's active roster who played in that game. For Seattle, it's only five. Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, Bruce Irvin and Luke Wilson, Irvin and Wilson had left and then come back. The Patriots, this is fascinating because for a long time, I think since that game, which was one of the iconic Super Bowls in NFL history, no question about that. Mm -hmm. We talked about how the Seahawks had changed. Their legion of boom had gone. Uh, they lost a lot from both sides of the ball while the Patriots still had Brady, still had Gronk. Obviously, they don't anymore. So you look at the Patriots and if you remove the opt-outs of Hightower, Patrick Chung, Brandon Bolden, only Julian Edelman and Devin McCourty are still on the active roster from that game, Super Bowl 49 in Arizona. You look at the difference in perspective of those two teams from, from that iconic game. And I don't know if you agree, Adam, that's, that's one of the better Super Bowls I can remember. It was an outstanding Super Bowl, but it was not the only memorable matchup between the Patriots and the Seahawks. These teams have played some great games, even though yeah. they are on opposite coasts, even though they are in opposite conferences. And we go back and look at this, Evan, there's a history between these two teams. There is. So you go back to 2012, Russell Wilson's rookie season. Uh, the, the Patriots went up to Seattle. Seattle won the game. That was the famous Richard Sherman, you mad bro game. He, where he, he, got, he got near Brady after the game. He intercepted Brady. And then when they played in 2060, really good, really good primetime game, 31-24, the Seahawks won. And then when we talk about these head coaches, Adam, guys who have been doing it a long time, you take it all the way back to the Patriots when Bill Belichick succeeded Pete Carroll with New England. There's so many parallels with this game. And then as we get to the quarterbacks, right, and these are, these are two of – the, the most dynamic quarterbacks we've seen in NFL history. And that may sound like bluster, but when you dig into the numbers, it's not. Cam Newton, Russell Wilson, only players in NFL history with multiple seasons of 3,500 passing yards and 500 rushing yards. And when you see what they did in week one, this is a, this is a great matchup. Cam Newton, outstanding in his debut. Everyone focuses on running the ball. I focus on the play-action passing, the quick passing game, and the fact that he completed 79% of passes. So while running the ball will get the headlines, for me, if Cam can mix 
that those 15 rush attempts for 75 and two touchdowns with an efficient passing game, that makes New England tough to stop. I love this matchup. I'm fired up about watching it on Sunday night on NBC. I think it should be just terrific. And again, you bring up some great games between these two teams. Should be fantastic. Monday night ESPN, I think, has a really compelling Monday night matchup. The Saints, who beat the Buccaneers on Sunday, go and play the Raiders in the very first game in Las Vegas. Now, if there were fans in Allegiant Stadium, it would be unbelievable. The atmosphere would be incredible. We would be there. I'm sorry we won't be. I'm sorry we won't see that. Yeah. But as it is, it's still a matchup of two 1-0 teams, an upstart Raiders team, a strong Saints team. What stands out to you here? I think you start when you hear Drew Brees and Monday night, you, your mind just goes back to all the historic moments. So you're going to see those leading up to next Monday night. This is his first Monday night game since week 15 last season when he broke Peyton Manning's all-time touchdown passing record uh, against the Colts in the Super Bowl. Superdome. Not only did he break that record, he set the NFL single game completion record, completing 29 of 30 passes in that game. Incredible performances. Previously in his career, he's broken Peyton's all-time passing yards record in 2018. He's broken other records. So Drew Brees has a flair for the dramatic. And now the other thing that that one of the things that stands out to me about this game is is there are some parallels between how Derek Carr has been playing and how Drew Brees has played for the last few years of his career. Carr last year completed uh, over 70% of his passes. That was second in the league behind only Drew Brees. It, it ended up being the eighth highest mark in his season all time. And he relied on those short throws to do it. Carr had the shortest average pass distance in the NFL last season. Well, who was the second shortest? Drew Brees. So it's interesting that you sometimes hear people maybe criticize Carr for not taking as many shots down the field and, and relying on those short passes. But that's somewhere where Drew Brees has made a living out of. It's, you know, short, get the ball out quick, short passes, and then you take your shot down the field. So I think Derek Carr, with that 70, over 70% completion, short passes, quick passes, combine that with Josh Jacobs, I think the Raiders are an interesting team going forward. I, I was very impressed with them in the opener, and Josh Jacobs seemed very strong. And they've been building some talent there for quite some time. And it looks like Mike Mack and John Gruden have it on the right path moving forward. And then the other primetime matchup, Evan, doesn't stand up to the other two that we've discussed today, but it's Thursday night. And I said on Monday Night Countdown this week that it's 0 for Ohio so far. It's two 0-1 teams, both in the AFC North, both with former number one overall picks at quarterback. Mm -hmm. One of these teams is going to go to 0-2. And I don't want to say their season's over because it's early, but their season's going to be in a real deep, dark spot. What would 0-2 mean for one of these Ohio teams after Thursday night? It's an uphill climb for sure, Adam. And if we go back to when the NFL went to 12 playoff teams in 1990 and you you take the teams who started 0-2, only 12% of those teams ended up making the playoffs. Now that percentage increases to 42% if you start 1-1. One one. So that's a difference of 30% there. 12% to 42, 0-2 versus 1-1. One and, one. and we saw some good things from Joe Burrow in week one. I think this game is fascinating for the Cleveland Browns. It, new head coach, uh, the, uh, the second year with Odell Beckham Jr., the third year now for Baker Mayfield. If they start 0-2, losing to Burrow and the Bengals, a rookie quarterback, I think, I think that's going to be a huge topic as we move forward with kind of 
unfortunately to say that the same old Browns, right? So oh, yeah. this, I, I totally agree with you. This is a fascinating game Thursday night because 0-2 spells doom if, if you're looking to make the playoffs. Should quickly mention four other games this week between 0-1 teams, Panthers-Bucks, Vikings-Colts, Niners-Jets, Falcons-Cowboys. If you're a fan of one of those teams, you got to get back to 1-1 one one if you want an easier road to the playoffs. Yeah, it's amazing to think about that we are this quickly into the season and there are that many teams that could be on the ropes early. It's always that way moving forward, but it's going to get dark early for a few of these teams after week two, which is amazing. Evan, appreciate the time, appreciate the insight. Uh, we will see you Sunday at the South Street Seaport Studios for Sunday football week two and for Monday Night Football, Monday Night Countdown on ESPN. Appreciate the time today. Thanks for the help. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate you having me on. There's ESPN analytics guru Evan Kaplan with a look ahead to what should be a tremendous week two. And already we've got drama in the NFL. Who would have thought that after one week that the Washington football team would be the only unbeaten team in the NFC East, that the Cardinals would win in San Francisco, that the Bears and Packers, two road teams in the NFC North, would be atop that division to open it up with two big road wins, that the Jaguars would be in first place with the Titans at 1-0. I know it's one week, I know. But it already goes to show you the unpredictable nature of the NFL, why we love this sport, why whenever we think we know what's going to happen, it never does. And we're one week in, the surprises have begun, there'll be more this week, and in a year where there's COVID, where there's no off-season program, where there's no preseason games, we've said it before, we'll say it again, there are going to be more surprises this year than ever before. It'll be great to see what surprises are in store this week, but I promise you this, there will be more. Special thanks to Washington football team defensive end Chase Young, one of those big surprises from week one. Special thanks to our second guest on the podcast, Ed Werger, for his tremendous insight, as well as Evan Kaplan. Special thanks to my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting up with me and putting this podcast together. And special thanks to you, the listener, for coming back again to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week as we wrap up the surprises of week two, as we look ahead to week three. And until then, have a great week and be safe.